What's up, everyone? Welcome to the uh, second official episode of Flip the M, a uh, Five Reasons Sports Productions podcast, uh, sponsored by Prize Picks. Be sure to use that code Five. That's F I V E to match up to a hundred dollars on your first deposit. Um, later on in the year, we're gonna have a lot of bets going for you, so be sure to keep uh, stay tuned, and we'll get some money running for you. Anyway, so today's episode, we have our special guest, uh, Joe Sean, over here. Joe Sean, go ahead and introduce yourself, my friend. Yo, what's good, everybody? It's a pleasure to be here, John. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're happy to have you here, man. Um, now, since we last had a podcast episode, you know, um, different things have happened with Miami. We've had a couple of different small moves, one really, really big move and one kind of sneaky under the radar move that we're hoping that uh, pans out. We're going to start with uh, the the arriving players to Miami and kind of move forward into our departures and go from there. Um, but to start off with, we're going to talk about uh, who could be the new closer for the Marlins. Uh, Matt Barnes, you know, he was a closer for the Red Sox for a long time. Uh, he had 47 saves and 54 opportunities in his time with Boston. Um, in an interview recently, I think it was with Jared Carabas over um, over there, he said that it really caught him off guard, and it was due to the Red Sox thinking that his, his 2022 second half was a complete fluke. Um, me personally, I'm a big Matt Barnes fan. I always have been. I don't see that being a fluke. What, 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 do, you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Uh, the first half of 2021, he was lights out. Um, he was an all-star. He, like, was unhittable, basically. And then um, I believe they gave him an extension around that time. And then he kind of, like, fell off a cliff, if you will. And he was struggling, and he, I guess, couldn't find his stuff. For the second half of 2021 and a majority of 2022 um but it seems like after the second half of 2022 he found his rhythm again and he had a great bounce back second half so um i feel like he has a track record that he can be good and um if he's able to tap into that and you know mel is able to to work with him i believe that he can keep improving and keep um showing that he's a very capable closer i mean when you compare the player that we gave up compared to the player that we got and obviously we're going to go a little bit more in depth later on with the player that we gave up but you look at richard blyer who is known to be a very high um contact pitcher very low strikeout you know he he depends on the ground ball uh to go into double plays uh and compared to matt barnes who's quite literally the opposite he's a very low contact but a very high strikeout guy obviously his strikeout rate dipped a lot this past year uh, but looking at his stats, you know, he only allows a, a 229 batting average when in save opportunities. Um, so getting somebody who in the back of the bullpen who has that closing experience, that championship mentality, um, and and being somebody who's a who's a high strikeout guy, that's something that Miami hasn't had in a long time. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that he provides is just that ability for swing and miss. I feel like we haven't had a swing and miss reliever, um, really, honestly, these last couple of years. So. Being able to have somebody in the back of your bullpen that can miss bats is extremely valuable. Yeah, as we were saying, he's he's he had seven blown saves and opportunities, so he's someone that obviously Skip said that we're going to go by a closer by committee, um, for for lack of a better term. Um, but with him and Floro in the back of the bullpen, I think that that's going to get bring a lot of championship mentality to it, as well as you know Barnes getting that swing and miss going, which is something that I really look forward to not having. Really worry about a ninth inning. Yeah. We haven't done it in a while. Um, yeah. But go ahead, go ahead. No, yeah, I think 
it's a very modern uh, thing now in baseball that there's not necessarily just one closer. I mean, unless you have an Edwin Diaz in the back of your bullpen. But I feel like most teams now are now implementing closer by committee or using your best guy in the highest leverage moments, you know. So definitely having somebody that um, has shown that can be trusted in those situations is a good building block to work with. Yeah. And and speaking forward of kind of changing philosophy of the Marlins, you know, and, and portrayed themselves on the field, the Marlins swung a major trade uh, that is the opposite of what the Marlins have been for a long time. Um, we swung out to Minnesota and we got the AL batting champion of Luis Arise. Um, you know, he kind of plays all over the infield, uh, but he is a contact first uh, hitter, very minimal power, which, you know, in this day and age is very, very rare to see. Um, but Miami has struggled offensively to get on base a ton the past few years. You know, we haven't had a consistent guide since I would, I would arguably say since JT or Amito, um, that consistently gets on base and cons- consistently hits, um, and arise coming over at 25 with, you know, three years of control. We're hoping that he's going to be that guy for us. Um, what, wh- what are your thoughts on the trade so far? I mean, I personally, you know, I love Pablo. Um, I'm going to wish him the best in Minnesota. It's going to be, you know, it's going to suck. It's going to suck not to have him on our side. But getting back a player of Luis Arise's like, capability, it's it's super exciting, especially because, like you said, he's an anomaly um, nowadays. Uh, now everybody's looking for launch angle and homers, and he's the back-to-ball the back to ball guy, the spring all over the field type of guy. And it's not that common anymore. So I personally believe that if the Marlins um, have bounce back candidates like Avisayo and Jorge Soler, if they're able to put up a good season, um, then Arias could be that guy that's always on base for them, that's always uh, able to be brought in, you know. And I've, I love I love Arias' game. Um, I was always familiar with him, but now that he's on my team – on the Marlins, that's the team that we're trying to cover. Um, I've done more research on him, and I'm very excited. I'm very, very excited. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> a couple big things about Luis coming down here. Um, you look at the 2022, you know, stats for both the Miami Marlins and Luis Arise. Um, Miami struck out at a 24% clip, so they struck out 24% of the time. You look at Arise – he only struck out 7.8% of the time. That is, first of all, that's unheard of. That's unnatural yep. for a player of that, uh, of someone who plays every single day, you know, unless it's Williams Estadio, who, rest in peace, we don't have him anymore. But um, you, you don't often get players who who don't strike out and get on base often. And Arise is, is a wonderful example of that. And something that, that, again, I said, hasn't been in Miami in a long time. Um, Arise has never struck out over 40, uh, oh, sorry, over 50 times in a season. Um, which that's, is that's absurd. wild. Yep. It's wild. In 2022, he walked more than he struck out. So that's insane. It's so it's insane to think about his career. I think it was like 373 on base, which again is polar opposite of what Miami has right now. So it's going to be really refreshing to have a guy bat first or second and be a table setter, get on the base, not have to worry about getting extra bases. You not have to worry about getting home runs or getting people in. He just needs to get on base. And the rest of the lineup will take care of it from there. It'll, it'll get people in the proper spots in the lineup, which is really, really exciting. 
Yeah, and I think a common something I wanted to touch on a common misconception. Um, people automatically associate power with homers, and I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, I feel like Luis Arias has uh, he's has good power. I mean, he had last season, I believe, uh, thirty something doubles. Um, and he was slugging over four hundred. So, I feel like um that's something that could even be tapped into more in Lone Depot. Uh, with the the huge gaps that we have, you know, maybe he gets a little bit um more pull friendly, and he's able to hit sneak a couple homers over that porch in right field. Who knows, right? But I, I just I think that potential with him is 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 super exciting, and he's only twenty five. You know, turning yeah. he turns twenty six right before the season, um. So he's very young, and he can be a piece to try to help us win now, and something that someone that we can use as we continue to try to make teams, or the Marlins continues to try to um, put together competitive teams. Yeah, for me, uh, um, you look at where he comes in, and and you kind of were sitting here wondering, you know, he doesn't have enough power to be a first baseman or a third baseman. You can put him at second, but then you have Jazz Chisholm there. And obviously we found out that the resolution was to move the ultra-athletic Jazz Chisholm Jr. out to Central and see how that goes. That's a topic for a different day um, on my thoughts about that. Yeah. <laughs> but you you kind of wonder where Arise is going to fit in or, or if he's going to play all over. And you look at his history, and Arise has over 300 innings played at first base, second base, third base, and outfield. You know, that's not saying that he's going to be a stellar defensive player at those spots, but he is not unfamiliar moving across the diamond, playing wherever he needs to be, and still contributing to the team. Um, so obviously we want to get somebody who can stick to a position, and I'm sure that he is going to stick at, at second base, but he offers us that flexibility of having, you know, a history, a deep history at multiple positions. Absolutely. Um, you know, especially the Marlins who have – a lot of infield depth they have potentially five or six guys that can start for them at any given night um in the infield so having someone that can play all over so if you want to give this guy a day off or this guy a day off and you can just slot in the rise right there um it's it's in it's super valuable to have for a major league ball club especially because injuries happen and fatigue happens so being able to keep people fresh is going to be um very big you know yeah now, let's start on the flip side, and let's look at what the Miami Marlins had to give up to be able to get uh, these two high-caliber players. Um, obviously, the most obvious and the most, for lack of a better term, detrimental departure for the team is going to be Pablo Lopez. You know, he's been with the Marlins for, I believe it's four seasons now. Um, he was a consistent number two or number three starter for the Marlins for that entire time, as long as, as he was healthy. Um he goes out to Minnesota, which is a playoff caliber team, and immediately slots in at either the number two or number three spot, just like it was in Miami. This time slotting behind the young perennial ace of the Twins in Joe Ryan and a uh, celebrated veteran of Sonny Gray. So he's going into a a better position, for lack of a better uh, term, um, to where they're in the playoff and to where they can def definitively win the, uh, win the division. Um Paulo is a forever Marlin in every Marlins fan's hearts. I don't think there is a single person who wishes him, you know, not good. Yeah. You know, everybody wants him to succeed. Nobody wants to see him fail. He was a stellar player, stellar person, stellar citizen of Miami. And 
you know, the team was better with him on it. Um, but it's the cost of baseball. You got to do something to, you got to give something to get something, you know? Of course. I mean, you know, it's not too many players that during their Marlins tenure didn't receive hate. Pablo is one of those rare few that was always loved from the moment that he put on a Marlins jersey. Um, yep. So definitely going to be missed, as I mentioned earlier. Um, he was a fan favorite, a great guy off the field, and he produced on the field. So it, we, we all wish him the best, and we know he's going to be just fine in Minnesota for sure. Now, if you are a Marlins fan and you're kind of sitting here thinking, why – why would we do this? Why would we get rid of this fantastic pitcher who I believe he's still only 26, 27 years old, you know, who still has a couple years of control. Why would we, why would we get rid of that? Um, and you kind of have to take a look. Um, first of all, obviously well-known Marlins have depth upon depth upon depth of minor league pitching. And obviously that doesn't always pan out. But, you know, you have your Yuri Perez, you have your Jake Eater, you have your Max Meyer, you have your Jacob Miller. You have all these other names right behind him. Um, so you feel comfortable being able to get something to to, to give something up. Uh, and it just so it is Pablo. Um, now, another reason why we might have to give him up is you look at him. He has a, a history of injuries, whether or not we like to look at the bad side of him. He's only pitched over 110 innings in a season twice. Um, and granted, one of those seasons that he didn't was the 2020 season that was shortened. So I can't really discount him on that. True. This was his time um, in the majors and longest without an injury, which is, you know, at 26 years old with four years, four or five years of major league experience to only pitch a full season once is, is something to be weary of. And so I, I understand the sentiment behind, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of twins fans when they're like, we're, we, we just traded the batting champion for somebody pretty often injured. Obviously we know why Pablo is held in such high regard, but of course he, he was, he was very often injured. Um, and, and this year, even though he pitched the entire season, as he got tired, his stats went way, way, way down. You know, yeah, the second I mean, half was not nearly, nearly as good as his first half. I think that's um, something that's, that's very, that you have to look at. Um, Yes, he stayed healthy for majority of the season, but towards the end, you can tell he was taxed. Towards the end, you yeah. can tell that, you know, maybe the, the shoulder or it was starting to wear down. Um, he didn't perform as well as he did during the beginning of the year. And you can tell that even though he wasn't out, he wasn't on the on the IL, um, he didn't really miss starts. But you can tell that he wasn't all there. And he, like, he, he was starting to get just fatigued with the course of the season. Um, and you mix that in with his injury history, it, and you know he, him being one of the older pitchers of the bunch, um, it just kind of made sense. And also, he's a free agent in a couple of years. His years of controls are, are, are dwindling down. So it was just very – it made the most sense that it would probably be Pablo to be the one traded. Yeah. The one quick thing I want to say before we move forward to our, our next departure that we had um, is even at Pablo's, you know, quote unquote worst with him ending up with like a 3.7 ERA. Um, if you compare him to the 2022 twins uh, starting rotation, and again, he's going to be behind Joe Ryan and potentially Sonny Gray. Pablo would have led the 2022 twins rotation in war. Um, his baseball reference war, his B war was three. 
Next up was Joe Ryan at 2.2, and I believe Sonny Gray was right at two as well. So he is he has so many high qualities of a pitcher, and and Miami is going to sorely miss that. Um, and we all wish him nothing but the best out there. Absolutely, I mean he he's very well could be their opening day starter. So you know he pitchers don't come around too often. So definitely when you have one, you try to to keep them. Um, it was just unfortunate that our offense, the Marlins' offense, is so detrimentally bad that they had to get rid of some pitching debt to be able to secure yeah. a bat of a rise's caliber. Yeah. Next up was our departure for uh, the potential closer of the 2023 Miami Marlins of Matt Barnes. Uh, we ended up sending over uh, Richard Blyer to the Boston Red Sox. Now, if you don't remember Richard Blyer, he is a – lefty specialist in an era where it is a three batter minimum you know if he was playing 10 years ago Blyer would be a stud he would be demanded by every team but right now in the era that we're at yeah. you look at you look at his stats he has a 573 ops against lefties and a 793 ops against righties um he heavily struggles against those righties he is a lefty specialist tried and true um Miami ended up getting him from the Orioles uh, in the uh, 2020 pandemic um, as a DFA candidate, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yep. And you know, he served as he, he did higher than what was expected of him. We picked him up when our entire team had gone down with COVID and we needed some pitchers in the team. So we snagged him up from Baltimore and he stayed with us and he got an extension about uh, last year, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, to, to take a DFA candidate, just because you need players on a team to end up getting a contract extension two years later is phenomenal. You know, Blyer was a phenomenal pitcher for us, um, but Miami really swooped in and, and, and made a phenomenal deal here to be able to get Barnes for Blyer, especially with Barnes coming with essentially, I think it was five or six mil of his contract paid. So it makes it, it almost even swap money, money wise. Of course. Um, but what are, what are your thoughts about uh, Blyer? Well, um, you know, I like Blyer. Um, he, I had an opportunity to speak to him um, after a game, and he seems like a very down-to-earth, very, very cool guy. Um, as for his performance on the field, 2022 was maybe um, a down year or one maybe one to forget for the most part for him. He has some highlights. He has some good moments. But for the most part, um, it wasn't really – a good season. He is, he was giving up a lot of homers. Um, I believe his homers per nine were, was like somewhere around 10 or 11. Um, so his homers per nine or hit. Yeah. Sorry. Hits per nine. Sorry. Hits. Per okay. Nine. Okay. <laughs> oh, you imagine, you imagine no, but yeah. So his hits per nine was around 11. Um, he was allowing a lot of hits. He just really wasn't, uh, equal to his 2021 form. I believe in 2021, he was, he was amazing. Um, so well, he warranted that extension. He deserved it at the time. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately how things develop, he kind of dwindled and faded and we were able to use him um, as a buy low uh, for Matt Barnes, who I believe could definitely bounce back in the Miami bullpen. So, I just wish yeah. Richard, Richard the best. He should be um, a middle reliever for them. Uh, probably will pitch in the middle innings. Um, 
and will bring experience to their bullpen because uh, I know that the Red Sox bullpen has been pretty inconsistent the last few years. So maybe he's able to to bring that experience and hold it down for the Red Sox. Um, but so we talked about trades that did happen. Let's talk about um, Kim Ang's discussions of what almost happened, what almost transpired. Um, she was on a podcast recently and brought up the fact that we were in contacts with Arizona for a decent chunk of the offseason looking for an outfielder for there. Obviously, they have, you know, Jake, um, Jake McCarthy, Alec Thomas, Dalton Varsho, uh, with Varsho now gone to uh, Toronto. Uh, but they never ended up having any connection. Um, Joe, I know that you know a little bit more about this than I do. So if you can go ahead and talk a little bit in depth about, you know, the discussions that happened there, what what the mismatch was. and Yeah. Um, so they were talking um, for a vast portion of the offseason. Um, it got to a point where maybe they were going to trade another pitcher over there that would, and they might have kept Pablo and sent someone else over there, maybe someone like Trevor Rogers, Edward Cabrera was discussed. Um, they were very adamant they wanted um, a, one of their bats, uh, whether it was Varsho, whether it was Thomas. Um, they, the Marlins felt that they needed um, a bat in return. Um, obviously, someone like Cor- Corbin Carroll is completely off limits, um, so no need to discuss that there. They had talks previous years about Cattell Marte, but they've moved on from those uh, with the extension that he received. Um, so it was very focused around maybe Jake McCarthy and Dalton Varsho. And as soon as trades or the trade talks maybe started gaining some steam, uh, they weren't meeting the requirements. And by they, I mean the Marlins. Uh, they felt that the asking price was maybe out of their range. And as we know, Dalton Varsho was traded to the Blue Jays um, because of that. But not only were they looking for the outfield help, uh, one of the names that was mentioned uh, numerous times was Christian Walker because uh, mm-hmm. they have been looking for that first base help, first base DH type of help. And now with the acquisition of Luis Arias, um, that may be not realistic anymore. But at the time, he was one of the players that they were also asking for, um, which personally, I believe Christian Walker would have been great here in Miami. Um, he's a big power bat, big, big, big swing guy. So, um, yeah, but that was mostly it. They were very much interested in Arizona. Uh, Arizona was interested in the Marlins uh, pitching, uh, but they felt like they were um, selling high with their players. So they wanted to get they wanted to secure uh, value if they were going to trade one of their bats. Yeah. Um, the the one thing I want to point out before we move forward uh, is I find it very interesting, you know, that they were focusing in on, on you know, you said Dalton Varsho and, and Christian Walker um, because when the off season started, they were very clear on, on what to do to improve the team. And they were looking for proven players first of all, which both of them are, they're both proven, but they're also looking for contact first power later kind of guys, which is what we got with Luis Arise. So looking at somebody like Dalton Varsho or Christian Walker, who are players who have, you know, lower batting averages, uh, still pretty good on base, but a ton of power Mm -hmm. is a complete flip side of what they are preaching the entire off season. Um, So it's really interesting to see that they knew what they needed to do to, to succeed, but they also wanted to do whatever they could to, Secure a bat. Exactly. Secure a bat 
or secure somebody that's proven. Um, yeah. And so that, that was something interesting that I noticed. Yeah, for sure. And something that it's completely an opinion or I don't have any facts to back this, but I believe that their philosophy might have changed as the offseason went on. Um, at the beginning, it might have been just let's secure whoever we can, um, a bat, let's try to find something. And, you know, as talks progressed or didn't progress or whatever w- was to happen, they probably shifted in their philosophy and they looked internally and in how they were going to get better or what they had or have. Um, and then they basically took the decision to let's go this route because we believe that we have some in-house options that are bounce back candidates that um, can take the next step. When you think of somebody like jazz, um, he, if he could stay healthy, he could be that power bat that, that run producer. So I personally, of personal opinion, I just believe that they changed their philosophy as the offseason went on and realized um, how much it was going to take to improve their team if they really wanted to. So I feel like they changed and they looked internally to see where they can solve some issues. Yeah, it's it's great to know. And obviously this isn't based in fact. This is all based on opinion and observation. But it's good to know that we have a – front office who is kind of becoming self-aware and, and realizing that they have to adapt and grow and not just be set in one specific way. Um, so it's nice to see them that they're able to do that. Yeah. Um, now, before, before we end the episode um, or before we actually get to our uh, special interview that we have at the end of the episode, um, we were sent in two questions uh, on Twitter. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read out the question and who it's from. And Joe, I want you to give your answer first and I'll follow up my answer here. Um, So Twitter user Wizard of Odds uh, sent us this question. They said, fast forward to the end of the season. The Miami Marlins have made the 2023 playoffs. How? What needs to happen? Well, a lot needs to go right if they're going to (laughs) playoffs, Um, especially in the division that they're in. They would have to beat out one of the top three teams. Um, So whether it's the Mets, the Braves, or the Phillies, one of them would have to have tremendous bad luck and flame out so that we're able to secure that that wild card spot. Um, how does it happen? I personally believe the number one thing that has to happen is Jazz has to play 150 games. If Jazz doesn't play over 140, 50 games, there's no way that the Marlins uh, progress or get to the playoffs just because I don't feel like they have the – uh, the depth to deal with an injury to a big bat. Um, so health is obviously important, um, more specific jazz, just because uh, he hasn't shown uh, that he is able to stay healthy for a long period of time. Um, and last season when he got injured, the offense went from bad to all time terrible. So yep. jazz Staying healthy is one, and then I guess I can give a little sneaky answer. Well, I have two. A deadline acquisition, so the Marlins are in the hunt around July, and they snipe uh, you know, somebody that's going to help them make that playoff push, whoever it may be, I'm not sure, but a deadline acquisition. And then the last one is a little sneaky uh, idea, but um, Yuri Perez makes his Major League debut mm, in 2022. Okay. So... I believe um, down the stretch, pitchers get injured, pitchers get hurt. 
Yuri makes his major league debut at the young age of 1920, whatever he would be at the time, and he will completely dominate ahead of his time, and it will give the Marlins that that rotation stability going into the playoffs. So what I'm here, I just want the 20 Marlins to become the 23 Marlins. Yeah. So Sanchez is um, absolutely, absolutely. No, that, that that that's that's good. For me personally, I, I a little bit going off of what obviously you need a fully jazz. Uh, jazz brings the energy to the team, even if he's not performing to his best. So the energy that it brings to it is infectious, and the team plays with that energy. So you need him there. You need him to be able to be on the field. Um, secondly, we need a fully healthy rotation to the best that we can. Last year, you had Braxton Garrett get 15 starts. You had Eddie get like 12 starts. You had Trevor get like 16 starts. You know, the bottom three of your rotation is completely out, 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 out. Obviously, we have pitch, but and, – and no offense to this player, but I don't think that that Marlins fans want to see, you know, come July or August, Chichi Gonzalez going six or seven innings every five days. You know, we, we want to <laughs> see our young players and we want to see our, our rotation fully healthy. And if that happens, we obviously have a better chance of getting into the wild card spot. Um Secondly, as you said as well, we need to acquire one, whether it be now or at the deadline, or you hope that, you know, Brian De La Cruz or J.J. Blade takes that next step forward. Um, obviously, you know, Blade had amazing eyes at the plate, but could never connect with the bat, uh, the bat to the ball. Um, so do that little tweak to where he can finally get his timing perfect. You know, he doesn't chase many pitches, but once you get him to get that perfect timing, then he's set. I'm a little biased there. But De La Cruz, he had a phenomenal second half. And again, it's hard to tell. As Don Mattingly always said, you don't want to count the September stats, but it's hard to ignore 900 OPS in in September from De La Cruz, you know, especially when comparing to the start of the season he had. Absolutely. I think he did acquire that one more bat or have him step forward or both. Um, And then you have a more competitive, more active team. Um, But moving on to our, our last question of the night is from our good friend Eli over at Fish Stripes. Um, he said, aside from Pablo Lopez, which departed 2022 Marlin will have the best 2023 season? Joe, what do you got? So the player I'm going to name is never played a major league inning for the Marlins, but he was in the Marlins okay. organization. Um, and I believe is going to be Jose Salas. Um, okay. So a lot of people have written him off. Um, maybe he took a step back in the year 2022 in terms of his minor league development. Um but I believe that that natural talent is there. And um, even though I uh, don't really mind that he was in the package to get Luis Arise, I'm not really tripping over that. Um, I do believe that he's going to bounce back and he's going to have um, a better 2023. Um, so just to go a little, be a little different, I'll name Jose Salas. That's fair. I mean, he's, he's obviously in the top five you know, prospects for a reason. So, seeing if he's able to grow in the Minnesota Twins organization is going to be something interesting to watch. And hopefully it doesn't come back to bite us in the butt, especially with the new schedule. But um, my, my choice, I I was looking down the list and I didn't want to give the basic answer of Brian Anderson going to Milwaukee. You know, I I was looking up and down trying to figure out what one sneaky player could be the best former Marlin in 2023. And I kind of stood on the idea and I know a lot of people are going to be weird for this, but, Miguel Rojas in LA is going to have a fast year. Like, I think it's going to be a career turnaround for him. Not necessarily saying that he's going to be all-star level or amazing, 
But in Miami, in his time here, rarely was he ever surrounded by elite talent. You know, he somehow, even though he's not known for it, was one of the best bats in the Marlins lineup, which speaks more to the Marlins than it does to, you know, Rojas. But in a lineup where he's surrounded by stars, it takes the pressure off. He can focus on defense, which he does best. Um, You look at last year, and with a 605 OPS and a 75 OPS plus in 2022, he still contributed a 2.5 B war. He was still contributing, even with that horrendous offensive numbers. Um, But you put him in a a situation to where he's surrounded by a lot of better players. You expect those numbers to grow because he's not having to do all the himself. And especially when you look at his career numbers, he has a 759 OPS with runners in scoring position. The Dodgers will have runners in scoring position every inning. You know, Mookie, it's either going to be Mookie Betts, JD Martinez, Chris Taylor, you know, yep. anybody, anybody in that lineup, Freddie Freeman, they're in base. Cool. Now he doesn't worry. You know, yeah. situation, he's going to do good. But I, I would expect, and this is maybe a really bold take. Um, but if he is their everyday shortstop and, and stays through the deadline, I think Miguel Rojas is going to have a four-plus war. That's wow. a bold take, I know. Wow. But put him in that situation to where he doesn't have to worry about his bat. He focuses on his defense, and he just has to get on base, and that's all that matters. He doesn't have to be the quote-unquote captain of the quote-unquote like star bat, which, you know, it is what it is. But it is what it is. I think his, I think his numbers are going to grow a lot. He'll still have a, a, a below 100 OPS plus, but – He'll score more runs. He'll have more opportunities for RBIs. You know, his defense is going to shine out there. I think it's going to be a four-war season for him. Definitely. And Miguel Rojas is somebody that puts up pretty good at-bats. So just having that protection around him can definitely benefit him. And it could definitely, you know, allow for a career year. Um, And the Dodgers do this thing where they put you in the best position to succeed. Um, So... I can totally see them turning Miguel Rojas into this, you know, this platoon guy that rakes when lefties are on the mound. Or if he starts every day, that protection around him would allow him to just relax and, you know, get on base at a, at a good rate and, you know, just be allowed to be drive, drove, uh, driven in. So definitely Miguel Rojas is a great candidate and he just got extended. So yeah, it, it's clear that it's clear that L.A. believes in him. And in what he could bring to the table, so he is definitely a great candidate uh, to have a, a good year out there in, in California. So, yeah. Well, that is all we have for our main part of the Flip the M episode. Uh, stay tuned because we do have an exclusive interview. One, the only Mike B, the in-game host for the Marlins for the past few years, who sadly left us, uh, but we did get to talk with him and and. and kind of get some viewpoints of, of his time with Miami. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. It's, it's a great time. Um, he wishes he, he loves everyone with all his heart. So yeah, Joe, Mike, thank you for being you. on here. Yes, sir. <laughs> thank you for having me, man. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, you know, I can't wait to do this again. Yep. All right, guys, go ahead and stay tuned and until next time. All right. And we are here with a uh, first time, Relatively exclusive interview for uh, Flip the M. Uh, I have my good friend here, Mike B. You might know him as the uh, in-game host for the Marlins for the past couple of years. Mike, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, Marlins fans. It's your host, Mike B., or I was your host. Weird for me to say that now. Uh, I grew up a big Marlins fan, so getting to do this job for six years 
was an absolute dream and an amazing experience. I wouldn't trade it for anything. So uh, I'm just really thankful to be here. Thank you for all the time that the fans have put in and uh, putting up with me or embracing me, whichever one it is. Hey, speaking from somebody who grew up a fan, going there, meeting you, seeing you is always a, a great time. You kept you kept things interesting and entertaining. So I appreciate it, man. Listen, I love going to that ballpark when it was Marlins Park and Alamo Depot Park. And then obviously the old ballpark, wherever, whatever you want to call it, whether that's Joe Robbie Stadium, Pro Player Stadium, Dolphins, Dolphin, Landshark Stadium, whatever it was, it was home to the Marlins. And yeah. I feel like it'll always be home to me. So it was an amazing experience for me. Good. And we're, 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 we're happy to have you go. Uh, um, just a final hurrah. Uh, we just want to ask you a couple questions, uh, see your kind of viewpoint and some stories that you had, uh, and then you can give our your your final goodbyes to, to Marlins fans. All right, man? Absolutely. So the first question that I had a couple people ask me that they wanted to hear from you um, was if you could pinpoint in your time with Marlins, whether it be as a fan or as a host itself, what was your favorite Marlins moment that you experienced? I tell you what, man, uh, 2020 was such a rough upside down kind of year. Uh, but it was very special to be in the ballpark when that was happening as the PA announcer and also someone who was playing the walk-up songs, which was crazy. So I would announce, you know, Miguel Rojas or Louis Brinson, and I'd be playing their songs as it was happening. Um, and just being in the ballpark with no one around was such a weird, eerie experience. And to me, that just highlighted how important the fans are, right? Like my job made absolutely no sense without the fans. And so it was a weird experience, but also one that was like so exclusive and so behind the scenes that it was something that I can't replicate in the rest of my career. Um, and being the PA announcer last season in the stands was really cool because I got immediate feedback from the people around me. And truth be told, it's something that I've wanted to do for after my career on camera. But to get to do it kind of 20 years sooner than I intended was a real treat. Hey, it's see how the lowest things that could possibly happen in life, you know, like the pandemic and everything can bring you the yeah. biggest opportunities and biggest opportunity to grow and maybe see something that you haven't done before. Absolutely. So at that time, also, we were doing a lot of digital shows on our website and on Facebook. So it gave me the chance to go back into my journalism background, right? And just not just be fun in-game marketing guy, but also to actually ask some real baseball questions to our players, to our coaches. I did a one of these shows with Tommy Hutton, who I grew up wow. idolizing, watching him and yeah. Rich Walton. You know, I, I was just like blown away by how funny and witty Tommy is like off the broadcast, right? Just between us. And then I was keeping a cool professional. I've met a lot of great people, a lot of celebrities, a lot of personalities in my time with the Marlins, with my jobs, with the heat as well. But then there's like the 12 year old side of me that was standing next to Tommy Hutton. And I was freaking out a little bit just because this is my idol growing up. You know, I loved watching Tommy. So a lot of cool experiences like that. And, Things that I'll never forget. Yeah, no, I remember my first time uh, covering the Marlins. I saw Tommy Hutton walk past me, and I had grown up. He was the voice of the Marlins. I watched him all the time, participated in all the uh, email Tuesdays or now Twitter Tuesdays as they are now, and, yep. and just seeing him walk past me, I was like, oh, my gosh. And he just gave me a fist bump, and I was like, this is 
he, yeah. he it's surreal. You know, he's, he's such a normal guy, but it's, it's so crazy to go from seeing him on TV and seeing it just to have him walk up and be like, Hey, how are you doing? And like pop off a couple. Right. You know. I mean, I, I, I don't get starstruck really very often because I am surrounded by high profile personalities all the time, but mm-hmm. that was something real special to me. And to have like an actual relationship with Tommy over the years. And uh, he w- wished me well on Twitter when I said my uh, farewell on there as well. So uh, just, just an honor to work next to him. Yeah, I can definitely get that. Uh, going off that mentioning uh, as you've worked with a lot of high people was your favorite player or coach with don't not have to be the Marlins but whoever it may be what was what was your favorite moment or favorite person to work with well first of all I'm going to go off that path and not mention the players or coaches my co-host Ashley mm-hmm. uh, I've had many co-hosts in my in my time in broadcasting but Ashley and I our chemistry on screen was was just great and I think it kind of jumped off the screen she was a lot of fun to work with and she'll still be around. So there is a bridge between my departure and what our in-game presentation looks like next year. In terms of players and coaches, man, there's so many great people to shout out. The first one that comes off the top of my mind here, sad to see him go as well, but Pablo Lopez. Uh, Everyone just has the nicest things to say about Pablo. I can tell you on a personal level, that is absolutely correct. Um, He's just one of the smartest most genuine, most authentic people, and not just in baseball, but like in life that I have ever met. And it's, it was such a joy to be around him. You know, uh, we would do our pregame shows before the games and uh, he would just come up in the dugout and start talking to us. At one point he decided that he was going to stick around for our show and he was just in the show, you know, and that was just the kind of person and kind of relationship I had with Pablo because he was just so, open and willing to do a lot of things. Uh, other players through the years, Miguel Rojas, who's also not here anymore, but uh, someone that was the captain for a long time and rightfully so, had really good conversations with him. Sandy was always someone that joked with me, you know, Braxton um, Garrett, Trevor Rogers, Jesus Cesardo, guys that started starting pitchers. So if they were not starting that day, they would uh, be happy to talk to me. So that was really cool. And Don Mattingly is another one. We would have great conversations. Uh, always going to be a Don Mattingly fan. And Jazz Chisholm Jr., since day one, uh, has been so open and kind to me. Uh, saw him last night. I hosted uh, Hurricanes basketball. He was there with Abisail Garcia, Jorge Soler, and John Jay. And Jazz and I had a really good conversation. We just, we just clicked, right? I think we understand yeah. each other on a level beyond baseball. And I think I'll end it on this, but Derek Jeter, I remember this one moment, uh, opening day 2021, I was in the Lone Depot suites right behind home plate here, just a little on the suite level. And Derek walks out um, in his suite and I look over, he looks at me and I gave him a little cap tip and he gave it back to me. And I was just like, wow, I am hat tipping the captain on opening day. This is amazing. <laughs> that, that, that's surreal i mean like obviously he derek's not with us anymore but still like the the power that he has just being there is something that that isn't often seen in in sports like the respect that he gets from everybody that's around him is just insane consummate professional through and through he maintained an open door policy 
We had a one-on-one -on -one meeting in his office one day, uh, our holiday party back in uh, 2021. I, I actually took my, my then fiance, now my wife, as my, as my date for the holiday party. And we walk in and he, he's talking to a lot of people, of course, that's naturally what happens. People gravitate towards there. And my wife sees him and says, oh, there he is. And I'm like, yeah, he looks a little busy. We'll get to him later. And you didn't want to impose, you didn't want to bother him. But yeah. at some point later on in this holiday party, it was at an art ex exhibition or exhibit. And it was just the two of us, a friend of ours, and then Derek walks in and I hear him say, Mike B. And I'm like, oh, I, this is happening now. I know that voice. <laughs> so he comes over, he comes over and I introduce him to Christina, my wife. And we were saying, oh, we're getting married next year. And he says to me, uh, remember this, always put your wife above your career because I didn't always do that and it got me in trouble. So now I'm like, okay, well now Derek Jeter is just giving me marriage Life advice. advice. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. So cool. Things that I'll never forget. Yeah, yeah. So we have a bit here. So uh, if you just want to go ahead and end it by giving your final goodbye message to the fans, something that you, I know you had those videos that you posted on Twitter, kind of going over your feelings and thoughts while you're in Lone Depot for the last time. Um, if you can kind of articulate that again or something new or or just kind of reminisce on your time and how it's been without being with the Marlins and just give a final goodbye out, to, uh, shout out to the fans. Well, as I said in my videos, it's never really goodbye. Mm -hmm. You'll see me in these Twitter streets. You'll see me rooting for the Marlins. Uh, I am moving away. I'm not quite ready to share where yet, but I am moving away. I haven't quite find the next, found the next avenue yet for me, the next opportunity. Uh, but I'm going to take this time to kind of just reflect on the last six seasons, having worked as your in-game host and beyond that. It has been the privilege of my life. I never thought I would get to do something like this, let alone from my hometown team, my favorite baseball team. And I always took pride in being not just a man of the people, but a fan of the people, be a fan of the fans. As I said earlier, none of this matters at all without fans in the seats, without fans in the ballpark. And I, I just want to thank all of you if you're listening to this and you're a fan of the Marlins and you have just embraced my work. I can't express my gratitude enough because from the bottom of my heart, this you made my experience that much better. Like just doing this is so cool, but then having fans of the Marlins become fans of my persona was uh, something I never expected. And I, you know, as, as time wears on, yeah, people are going to forget about my time there. It's just natural, you know, but rest assured that I will not forget all the blood, sweat and tears that I put into this and to all the fans that have come through those doors, just a big, sincere thank you. Well, as I said at the beginning, on courtesy of all Marlins fans, we love you. We're going to miss you. We're excited to see what you're going to do, man. I love you guys, man. Thank you so much. Also, one last thing. I, I have to squeeze in, shoehorn this in. John makes amazing cookies. Um, if you guys <laughs> ever uh, – it's, it's like a, an incognito secret thing. But yes. one day I go up to the press box and I see him, Kev, see him and Kevin up there and – 
he's just got like this tray of cookies and there's a butterbeer cookie in there. And I love Harry Potter. I love all things butterbeer. So naturally that's the one I go for. And it just, just melts in my mouth. And I, I, I went home and told my wife about this. And the one thing she says to me is, so you didn't bring me any? <laughs> so, I mean, kudos to you too, John. I mean, just, thank you. you know, I love, love the conversations we've had and I uh, yes. love this one too. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Um, that's all we have for today. So until next time, guys.